Well, good morning. I am so happy to be able to say my name is Wade, and I'm one of your pastors here at uh, Rexdale Alliance. Um, It has been an incredible journey getting here on behalf of my family and I. Uh, We have been so welcomed and so well-loved already. And uh, the welcome we had in our home, the welcome we've had here, I've been in the office for two weeks now causing trouble and messing things up. And uh, everyone's still okay with me so far. And I'm just looking so forward to week after week getting into God's Word together and uh, seeing what Jesus has to say to us as a church in impacting this world for Christ. I was talking to uh, Pastor Sunder this week. Uh, him and I uh, prayed together this week, and it became you know, apparent to me in the last couple of weeks um, that there's a, a lot of things that Pastor Sunder and I share in common, but there's a lot of ways in which we're different. I mean, people obviously get us confused all the time because we look, I mean, exactly the same. But, I mean, apart from that, um, I know I'm not Pastor Sunder, and he's not me, but as we prayed this week, um, what has been the core prayer of Pastor Sunder, what's becoming the core prayer of mine, is that this ministry wouldn't be known by a person, by a personality, but that this church is led and the center of this church is the Lord Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. And so regardless of what ministry is going on, what programs are run, whoever stands here on the platform, whether it's me or somebody else, day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade, we will be committed to having Jesus Christ as the center of this church and the object of our worship. Amen? Amen. Okay, we're allowed to say amen here. That's good. I wanted to make sure that was okay. So thank you uh, for your incredible welcome to us. If you ever want to connect with me, there's a number of ways you can do that. It's up on the screen. Uh, if you want to take out something to write with or a device, I, I will allow this. You can take out a device and uh, even just send me a quick note or uh, follow me on Facebook or whatever else. Even this last Friday, just posted a quick video uh, to say something about this weekend. I do those things from time to time. And uh, so if you're following me on those uh, social media platforms, we can have some interaction there. I'd love to hear from you, uh, especially if you like the sermon. If you don't like the sermon, you can just, you know, talk to Pastor Chris or something else, you know, <laughs> and uh, we'll handle it that way. This weekend, as part of this summer series, we're going to be looking at one of the most remarkable prayers in all of Scripture, prayed by a man named Moses. Some of you may have heard of Moses before. We're going to be looking at one of his prayers today. And I want to start here because communication with God. This way in which we interact with God, this way in which people call it prayer, the way we pray, which is the speaking and listening to the God of the universe. Communication with God is this relational act that grows us and shapes us unlike anything else, and it is at the core of this ministry here at Rexdale Alliance Church. Looking into this prayer that we're going to be looking at today, I want you to notice four things. Four things I want you to grasp. If you're a note taker, I mean, if you want to get your page out or take out your device, you can have a device again. You can take that out. We're going to give you four things. Four things I want you to consider that you can take into your week. And the reason I encourage people to maybe write stuff down is that I believe God's given all of us the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with people around us. And so maybe you take a note, and the whole reason you take that note, or God prompts an idea in your heart, the whole reason for it is that there's someone in your life that needs to hear this this week. And so four things. We're going to see a need. We're going to see the request. We're going to listen to God's answer to Moses and then camp on God's answer to us, all coming out of this prayer. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Exodus chapter 33? If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. All the scripture will be coming up on the screen. Some of you, uh, if you're new here, you may be new to the Bible, and uh, maybe someone gave one to you and you're holding it. 
It's okay, go to the table of contents, find the book of Exodus, and where you see the big number 33 uh, in Exodus, that's chapter 33, and that's how the Bible works, with, uh, with the book, the chapter, and then the verses in small numbers. We're going to drop into this story in Exodus 33 and see what God has to say to us today. So church, hear now, this is the word of the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, again, I said, we're dropping into a story, we're dropping into some tension. The Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. Now pay attention to this. But I will not go with you. This is God speaking to Moses. God saying, I am not going to go with you because you're a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you or walk away from you on the way. Verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people. But you've not let me know whom, I will, whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me. Teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, Lord, this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? The Lord says to, said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And Moses said, now hear this. Moses says to the Lord, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Hang on to that. Moses asks for glory. God says, I will allow my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Into chapter 34, verse 5. And the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, verbalizing, vocalizing his name, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. Verse 8, Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Church, this is the word of the Lord. So what's going on here? We have Moses and we have God in this conversation on the mountain. How did we even get here? I mean, what led up to this incredible encounter where there's this conversation, this back and forth between the almighty God of the universe and a man like Moses? Well, to know that, you have to go right back to the beginning. And I'm going to do this 30,000-foot flyover to get us to this point on this mountain, to know where we've come from. You see, right back in the beginning, God created people. He created the universe. And in creating people, He established a relationship, a relationship of intimacy between God and Himself. And this relational intimacy was everything to people. In fact, it's the core, it's the essence, it's what makes life worth living, intimacy with God. 
And in the created order before sin entered the picture, people were in perfect relationship, unhindered relationship with the God who made them, had direct connection to the person who was the longing of their soul. Absolute satisfaction. That's how God intended it. Like I said, sin enters the picture. And with sin and the holiness of God, there's this division. God stands as holy. God stands as apart. He will not interact with sin. And people chose rebellion and said, you know, we're going to be our own God. Not only do we want to live forever, we want to be the determiners of what is right and wrong. We'll determine what is moral. We'll determine what is light. We'll determine what is dark. We'll determine all of it. We want that kind of knowledge. We want that kind of influence. We want to be like God, to live forever and decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. In that decision to sin, the intimacy between God and people is broken. His dwelling with people became separated. You fast forward in the book of Genesis as tragedy after tragedy happens as a result of the consequence of not having intimacy with God. It just happens again and again. There's murder and violence and injustice and it just kind of rolls and continues. We come further into Genesis and we meet a man named Abraham. And in Abraham, God decides he is choosing to keep a promise that he made many years before Abraham came on the scene. And the promise was this, that although people have rebelled against me, God said, I'm going to do everything I can to pursue them with love and mercy and grace so that they can have the satisfaction of their souls that they long for, which is my presence with them. And God finds Abraham and says to Abraham, listen, through you, I'm going to establish a nation. I'm going to keep my promise to dwell with people, to be with people, to not let sin and darkness rule the day. And Abraham, through you, you are going to start this nation. You're going to have kids, and they're going to have kids, and then more kids, and that's how it's going to go. But through you, every family on the earth will be blessed. And God's saying, listen, I know you've rebelled against me. I'm choosing to come to you. I'm pursuing you with love. And God pursues relationship. Now, out of the descendants of Abraham, that happens, just like God said. There is this explosion of population. And in a whole bunch of circumstances, we'll get to this some other time, some other year, all the people, all of Abraham's descendants, who are called the Hebrew people, the Israelites, end up in Egypt in slavery. Whole situation that goes along with that. But you have this whole group of people for 400 and some years, 430 years, living in slavery in Egypt, under the thumb of oppression and of injustice. And through that whole time in Egypt, these people are calling out to God, deliver us, deliver us. Keep your promise to Abraham that you're going to bless the world through us. I mean, it doesn't look like it. Here we are making bricks and building stuff for the Pharaoh. This doesn't look like the blessed life. But those people held on to a promise that said God promised would be a nation. He promised we'd have a place. And he promised we would have a relationship with him. And so they called out. 400 years they call out. And in that time, God raises up this man named Moses, who we met in our story already. And God says to Moses, you're the one to continue the promise. See, you're going to be the one that leads my people out of Egypt. And I am going to give you the land I promised. And you are going to be the nation I promised you'd be. And I'm going to dwell with you. So let's go. And out Moses and all the Israelites come out of Egypt after all these plagues and these crazy things that happened. They cross the Red Sea and they come into the wilderness. And three days into the wilderness between Egypt and where the promised land was going to be, the people start complaining. I think we should go back to Egypt. I mean, it's really good. I know we were slaves, but here we are standing out in the wilderness. What's this about? This is what God was doing. He was taking the people on a walk to walk them back into relationship with himself. 
God lovingly leading them across the wilderness, providing for their needs and teaching them what it meant to live in relationship with him, a relationship of covenant. So we get to our story. The people are partway across the wilderness. They're somewhere in that middle land between Egypt and the promised land where they're going to end up. And God starts to speak to them the law. He brings Moses up on a mountain. He says, listen, essentially, here's the Ten Commandments. Here's our, here's our relational boundaries. And here's what it's going to take to reestablish good relationship between you and I. God says, the reason I'm doing this, he says, I want a tabernacle with you. That may be a strange word to some of you. Would you say that with me? Tabernacle. Just say that word. Tabernacle. Right. That's a really important word. Because it means God's dwelling with the people. The tabernacle was an actual tent. It was a specific place where people could meet with God and have that sense of corporate worship within their camp. But tabernacle goes beyond just the sense of a tent that's a place. God is saying to Moses here on the mountain, here's the law. Here's what's happening. I want a tabernacle with you. As it was in the beginning when I dwelt with people, when we interacted, when there was communication, when there was intimacy, God's saying, I want that again. You need this again. And so I'm going to tabernacle with you. God says, I'm going to set up my tent in your village. I'm going to move into the neighborhood and we're going to do life together. And what we see on the mountain happening is God saying, listen, this is what it takes to tabernacle together. I love you. I'm passionate about you. I want the longing of your soul satisfied and this is what it's going to take. Now, meanwhile, down off the mountain, the people of Israel have decided that Moses is taking too long. And so they decide they're going to build their own God and start to worship it. So there's this conversation on the mountain happening between God and Moses about the establishment of a relationship of faithfulness between one God and his people. And meanwhile, they're violating the very first thing that was making relationship with God possible. They decide to make a golden calf and someone tells a story, but it just popped out of the fire. There it is, you know, lying it through their teeth. And God sees all this and says, tells Moses, you know what? The whole thing is off. I can't tabernacle with you. You know, I'll follow through on my word to give you the land I promised, but you won't have me. God says, I'm going to give you a good land. You'll have my help. You'll have military and political success. You're going to have economic provision, power and influence, but you won't have me dwelling in your midst. I I can't tabernacle with you. So here's the deal. I'll give you all of my stuff, but you don't get me. When God, what God offers Moses and Israel is really, when you think about it, isn't that what most of the world wants? You know, we want to believe in God. We want to have help from God. We love God's stuff, but we don't want every single thing in our lives revolving around him. I mean, true intimacy based on faithfulness? No, no, no. God, how about this? God, give us the good stuff. Just give us your stuff. And you can stay apart. It's so fascinating. That's God's offer to Moses. Moses, you know what? I'll keep my end of the bargain. I'll keep my end of the relationship. I'm going to give you all of my stuff. You just won't have me. And Moses says, and outright, no. He says, God, keep all the blessing stuff because I've figured out what our deepest need is. Moses says in verse 16, if we don't have you, what is going to distinguish us from everyone else on earth? What makes us who we are? Here's the first thing we see in this prayer. Here it is. Here's the need. God says he'll give all the stuff, but his presence isn't going with the people. And Moses, the leader, will not have it. No deal. He has come to know that to have the gifts without being connected to the gift giver is empty and hollow and void of intimacy. 
yet, you know, for me and for many of us, you come to points in your life, in your relationship with God, where you feel like, you know, God, I've been living the good life. I come to church. I read my Bible. I give. And yet life's not working out for me. My prayers aren't being answered. And I'm feeling disappointed. God, I feel like I'm doing all the input here. And you're not giving anything back. God, what's the matter with you? I thought kind of if I followed you, you'd be somewhat obligated to help me out of the problems I'm in and to provide the things that I want. You know, when I fall into that kind of thinking, thinking that we're in kind of this relationship of I'm going I'm to input and then God has to give me back and there's this kind of exchange that goes on. You know, when we fall into this kind of thinking, all we've done is marry God for his money. It's all, it's all we've done. We're not interested in intimacy. We're not interested in worship. What comes out of our heart sometimes is just this, God, give us your stuff. God, we want your stuff is really what we want. I, you know, almost like stories of, of the scripture where sons ask their fathers, you know, before they're dead, could I have the inheritance now? Because essentially you're dead to me, but I really like the stuff. Need the stuff. How often are we just like that? You know, we all relate to God like that at some point or another. You know, I need this. I need that. I want you to hear, church, there's nothing wrong with asking God for the things on your heart. But what would it be like to have an experience with God that is so profound that regardless of whether your prayers are answered in the way we want or not, just being in his presence, just seeing him for who he is, just enjoying and delighting in him is more than enough to satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. What if it's him? What would it be like for God not to be just useful or available But how about him being beautiful and captivating in the very center of our being, in the very core of our worship? Moses asks, if we don't have your presence, God, what distinguishes us? We are nothing without you. What makes us who you are? What's our true identity? What's your identity apart from God? Who are you really? Moses has learned that the source and meaning of life is not found in what God gives. It's found in the presence of God himself. It's presence that matters. Intimacy with God, like Moses That's your truest and deepest need. Maybe you've heard that a hundred times. Maybe you're here and you've never heard that before because you've been seeking, you've been longing to fill up what's going on in your soul and your heart. Can I tell you today on the testimony of God's word that the longing of your heart, the truest, deepest longing of your soul is intimacy with God. It's what you were made for. And you need him. Leads to the next courageous part of this prayer, leads to the request. God has told Moses that he will now go with the people. He says, okay, Moses, I'll go with you. He says, I will tabernacle with you. But Moses, I love this guy, he won't take yes for an answer. He doesn't. In verse 18, we get to the heart of what Moses is after. And he says to God, you're coming with us, good. Now show me your glory. Now show me your glory. Now this goes further than God simply dwelling with the people. Moses says, I want to see you face to face. I want more. God, my appetite has been stirred for your presence. God, I want more. Show me your glory. What is Moses asking for here? We need to understand what glory means. Glory means the full weight, significance, reality, and importance of someone or something. And the glory of God is the full expression of all that he is. It's all of God, unhindered, revealed toward you. That's his glory. Moses wants to see God. To look him in the eye and have an unhindered experience of his beauty and his weight and his significance. It's a bold and passionate and brave request. And I just want you to hold on to that request. Show me your glory. Because we're going to come back to it. But first I want to show you. Here's God's answer to Moses. Moses stands there. Now show me your glory. 
And God says, no. You know, love the enthusiasm, Moses, I'm with you, I get it. But no. But not no full stop. You see, in verse 19, after Moses' request, God says, I'll let you see a sliver of my goodness. But you can't see my face. You can't see my glory. Why? Because God knows what his glory would do to Moses. Full, unhindered, infinite power of God landing on one person. God's glory would consume Moses. a great act of love of God towards Moses. No way could Moses bear the weight, the significance, the beauty of God without being consumed. God's holiness would completely overwhelm Moses. It would be too much. And so God does this strange little ritual where he places Moses on a rock. And God covers Moses' face with his hand and then verbalizes, vocalizes his goodness with these words. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. He's like introducing himself. Isn't that how relationship works? This is who I am. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. That's where it gets uncomfortable. We don't like this part. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents, the third and the fourth generation. Makes us squirm a little, makes me squirm. That might seem odd. What's going on here? Here's what God is doing. He's telling Moses, he's showing Moses his goodness. He's showing Moses what makes God good. And the goodness of God is his love and his justice woven perfectly together. Moses asks asks for the full expression of glory. God says, you can't take it. So how about a sliver of one of my attributes being my goodness? And in the declaration of his goodness, expounds on love and justice. That's what God does. God says, I want you to know, you, you want to know who I am? Then know this, I am loving and I am just and I am both perfectly. I don't have to put my love on pause to be just. And I don't have to put justice on pause to be loving. I'm both perfectly, constantly, eternally. That's my goodness. We look at that and say, that can't make sense. God can't be infinitely loving and infinitely just at the same time. That doesn't, that doesn't work. To be love and yet let, not let sin go without being dealt with. And God is saying, yes, I am. That's my goodness. You want to know what makes me beautiful, God says? Love and justice woven perfectly together. When you sing and talk about my goodness, that's what you're saying. That's my beauty. And we say, how can this be? Doesn't that contradict even a little bit? It may seem that way, but God holds these two in tension here with Moses. Get this. Moses heard this just like you and me. He hears God introduce himself. And if the Bible ended at Exodus 34, 8, we'd all be stuck on the question of how can God be both infinitely loving and perfectly just at the same time. Moses didn't get it. I promise you he didn't get it. He heard it and, okay, I suppose that's it. He only saw a part, a sliver of God's goodness, and that was enough for him to have the greatest worship experience, the most transformational experience of his whole life that he'd ever had. And Moses asks for glory. He's got this appetite for the presence of God, for God to dwell and to tabernacle with them. And then he goes even further and says, God, I want the full expression of you. Nothing held back. And God says, no, I won't do that for you, Moses, but you can see some of my goodness. You can hear my love and justice being proclaimed. And that means I'm good. Church, you know, there's something greater for us. 
Moses got to see a sliver of goodness when he asked to see the glory of God. Do you know what happens when we acknowledge our need for God and call out for his glory? Do you know what God's answer to us is? I mean, if we get really bold, if we get really courageous, and in humility even whisper, God, show us your glory. You know, I cringe a little bit. You wonder what God's going to do? Let me show you what God's answer to us is. In John 1.14, the scripture says this. The word became flesh, that is God put on skin and made his dwelling. There's that word tabernacle. He made his dwelling. He decided to tabernacle with us. And we have seen his what? His, sorry, what is it? Glory. It's okay to talk back in church. You can do that. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, love and justice. What's the scripture telling us? Now imagine John sitting there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if Exodus 33 and 34 is flooding back to his mind as he's delighting in the majesty of Jesus, God in the flesh, coming, moving into the neighborhood and rubbing shoulders with us, coming to tabernacle with us and saying, we have seen his glory. Not someday we're going to get glory in heaven and we're going to get little slivers until then. No, John says, we have seen his glory. And when you look on Jesus, what you're seeing is the full manifest glory of God in human form. And as John ponders this, as he thinks about the story of Moses, as he thinks about the interaction that happened there on that mountain, he says, what Moses couldn't handle, what Moses would have been consumed by, we now get to delight in because of Jesus Christ. And we look on this person of Jesus, God in the flesh, and he is love and he is justice. He is fully, infinitely loving towards us and yet with justice dealt with the sin that was entangling our lives and he did it all. He makes the pursuit. He comes with love. He is just and he's both at the same time. And in Jesus, it all makes sense. In Jesus, we see love and justice perfectly. In Jesus, God moved into the neighborhood to dwell, to tabernacle with us. An act of infinite love to draw near and an act of perfect justice for him to pay the penalty for our sin. That's how God answers our request. As I've been reading and praying and and looking back about Rexdale Alliance Church, can I tell you, here's what I've come to find. And I pray this is still true. Historically, this has been a church that knows what it is to call out for the glory of God. To have your appetite stirred for more of the presence, not just more of God's stuff. I consider it a great privilege to step into this incredible history of people, day after day, week after week, calling out, God, show us your glory. And I say, what if it continues? What if we just become that kind of church that is so radically committed to calling out for the glory of God and that His presence and His presence alone, we decide will be the only satisfaction of our souls? I mean, what if we just keep that going? I mean, I'm willing to. Are you? Do you want to do that? We just keep calling out for the glory of God. Because I dream of being part of a community where we're doing that all the time. Where when we pray, when we gather, we can ask God for anything. But our first request is this. God, before we get to anything else, hallowed be your name. God, your glory. God, show us your glory. Because I will tell you this. We want to win a community to Christ. We want to win the world to Christ. All the best programs, plans, and strategies in the world won't do it. You know what people are longing for? A fresh expression of the glory of God manifest in their lives. That's what people are longing for. 
And what if at Rexdale Alliance Church, word gets out that the glory of God has come upon a people and people come running to experience not just a sense of being welcome, not just a sense of a nice place, but they come running because they get a sense that this is a community absolutely sold out to the glory of God and they want in. I mean, what if that's where this is going? I think that'd be fun. Personally, I think it'd be great. Amen? Okay, good. When we ask, he says yes. And so I have a challenge for you. I want you to try something this week. In a moment, we're going to come to the table. Appropriately so, we're going to come to the table. First, this, I have a challenge for you. I'm going to ask you for the next seven days, now and next Sunday, that every time you go to prayer, you include in your praying and all of your requests and all of everything, you include in your prayer this request, that God show us your glory. How about all week? Those who are followers of Jesus and part of Rexdale Alliance Church, we just say, okay, for the next seven days, whether I pray once a day or 12 times a day or just in conversation with God, for this seven days, we're going to call out and say, God, show us your glory. Are you willing? Just show me your hand if you're willing. Okay, good. At least a few of us. I wonder, um, I have a challenge for some of you that you may not know if you're a follower of Jesus. You may have no idea and you're just curious about the claims of Christ And you're wondering about what it means to be in relationship with God and you really don't know. Can I give you the same challenge? Can I ask you to do something bold and courageous wherever you are in your spiritual journey? By the way, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. You're in the right place today. I want to ask you for the next seven days, would you pray the same prayer? You know, it's one thing to stand on the outside and say, God, would you do something over here that proves that you're real? that proves that you are who you say you are. It's a whole different thing than to step in and say, okay, God, if you're real, if you're there, if you really love me and you're this God of justice, God, would you show me your glory? Would you give me an experience of a God that I don't even know exists? If you're willing to do that, I'd love to hear your story of what God does to reveal himself to you. Thanks be to God for his enormous gift of love and mercy in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. I want to give you a benediction blessing before you go. I just say these words over you as pursuers of the glory of God. Know that he's already answering that prayer. God, show us your glory. He is in the person of Jesus Christ with the experience of you in Jesus this week. Be absolutely profound and transformational. Wherever you are in your journey, know that God is pursuing you with love. His heart of justice is for you and with you in every single moment. God bless you as you go. Have a great week.